Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Thorpe is coming in. Gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Yeah! Australia have got it! Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. It's Julian DeStoop sitting in for Sam Edmund. Today, we are joined by a man that epitomised the word consistency. Gary O'Donnell missed just 14 games in his 12 years of senior footy at Essendon. Six years in a row, he finished top three in the best and fairest. At a time, the club had champions such as Watson, Madden, Danaher, Thompson, Wanganeen, Harvey and Hearn, to name a few. In 1993, he won the Crichton Medal in a year the Baby Bombers won an unlikely premiership. O'Donnell also captained the club and represented Victoria nine times. Later, he was one of Lee Matthews' trusty lieutenants as Lethal's lines went back to back to back in the early 2000s. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. Pleasure to be here. Born and bred in Melbourne, you had two uh, stints in Brisbane uh, up at the Lions, but now Perth is home. Just uh, let us know what you're up to these days. I work with the Simon Black Academy. So Blackie's got... uh... Uh, academies in four states, uh, Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne, and over here in Perth. And uh, just a little footy academy where we're trying to get the best out of uh, 18 to 23-year-olds, just school leavers, I reckon. They do a diploma of sports development through Torrens University Online. And half our day is with uh, the physical side of things, and half a day is their study in an eight-unit diploma over a year. So uh, that's what I'm doing over here in Perth. Let's go back to where it all began. You were born on May 12, 1965, and it's fair to say it's an understatement that you were born into a, a footballing family. Uh, just take us through the bloodlines. Yeah, there's about seven that have played league football, and I was fourth generation in our family to do it. My great-grandfather, Ted Rankin, Edwin, uh, played in the first... Uh, AFL game between Carlton and uh, sorry between Essendon and Geelong for Geelong that was back in 1897 and then uh, his three sons played uh, another brother of his actually played a couple of games and then my father played for Geelong and North uh, eight games for Geelong 15 for North and then I came along so one of Ted's sons, Cliff, coached Geelong to their first premiership in 1925. And all those guys played for Geelong. And I just happened to play for Essen. And it was quite simple. There was a lot of synergy in it. That In 1996, they had the 100th celebration of the, the uh, VFL-AFL. And I played on the day. I think it's May 7th, 1996. Well, May 7th, 1897. 100 seasons earlier, my uh, grand, great-grandfather played for Geelong. I just happened to be captaining Essendon 100 years later. So uh, family, pretty proud moment, I would have thought. Absolutely. The night that Darren Buick kicked a lazy nine goals as he returned uh, from a knee reconstruction. So you mentioned your dad 
Graham there. He played seven games for Geelong, 16 games for North Melbourne. Given all that, that lineage you had in Geelong, who did you support growing up as a child? Well, like all kids, I'd barrack for the winners. <laughs> the winning team or the most successful team at that point. Um, I had a little sniff at uh, Hawthorne in 1971 when they fl- won the flag. I quickly turned to Carlton in 1972. Had the plastic number 25, Ger- um, uh, number 25 on the back of my Guernsey. Alex Jezelinko loved him. And uh, yeah, barracked for Carlton, much to the chagrin of all my relatives that lived in Geelong. Uh, I think I was the first black sheep, I would have thought. Everyone barracked for Geelong if you were a a Rankin or an O'Donnell. So, yeah, not too popular, but um, that soon gets drummed out of you when you turn up at Essendon, especially when you've got, got a guy like Kev Sheedy coaching us. And now I do not have an ounce of feeling for Carlton <laughs> at all. I despise them. <laughs> Most Essendon supporters will be very, very happy that you said that, uh, Gary. Now, it'd be a mistake to say that it was just a footballing family. Two sisters, Wendy and Shelley, fantastic netballers, elite netballers. The latter, Shelley, 84 games for the Diamonds, including three world championships and a Commonwealth Games gold medalist. You were both embarking on professional careers at the same time. Uh, Did it help each other being uh, both professional athletes at the time? And what was it like uh, growing up uh, in the backyard with such sporty siblings? A lot lot would have said that, uh, a lot of people would have said that Shelley probably could have played halfback for Essendon, much to her style of play. She loved the rough stuff. The rougher it got in netball, uh, the the more she liked it. But yeah, our, our careers were sort of at the same time. So much so that my mother missed the 93 premiership she was in darwin at a national competition for for shelly and wendy up there and i think they just watched the game live from the mcg up in darwin somewhere probably in a in a pub or at the hotel and uh they were quite happy with what happened i I think actually victoria might have won the tournament in 93 as well up in darwin as well so uh yeah mum mum missed it but yeah Shelley uh, really uh, probably missed her time. If she had been coming through about five years ago, now she probably would have played footy. And probably uh, in the Aaron Phillips mould, I would have thought, quite strongly built, good ball handler, good disposer of the ball, and, um, yeah, loved the rough stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting household. Even my two younger brothers, who are about seven years younger, they played a little bit of district cricket, and uh, one of them, Kevin, played um, in three premierships at Springvale in the 90s. At about the same time, I was uh, uh, going all right at uh, the Bombers in uh, premiership teams as well. So was it always going to be footy for you growing up, or did you, you dabble in some other sports as well? Pretty boring. It was footy in the winter and cricket in the summer. I, I, as a junior, I liked to run as well, so I'm not too bad at the eighteen, uh, sorry, the 800s and the 1500s. But, um, yeah, generally it was footy or cricket. And, and that's the beauty of the modern day. Kids get so many opportunities if they want to be able to play all sports and all sports sort of rub off on the other sports I would have thought and if someone if a kid gets uh, pretty good at one sport if he played a whole uh, gamut of sports they they add to his game in the one that he becomes um, good at. So with your junior football career it was North Ringwood uh, it was Quamby Reserve if I remember rightly back uh, back in those days where they, they played their footy. What are your early memories of playing uh, in junior footy and club footy? Well we uh, I wasn't allowed to play until I was 10. There was no odds kick in those days and um, the youngest age group was under 13 and my father said no nah, you're not playing 
until you're 10. And I harped probably for the last three years before he let me play to be able to play. I was only small as well, so uh, it was probably a good decision. But uh, North Ring as a 10-year-old, end up playing every second week. Probably the big white shorts when we played away were a bit baggy. and uh, But I thought um, I was the ant's pants being able to play, play footy and uh, played, what, three years in the under-13s. First couple of years, I had to wear a long sleeve. That, that's one memory. And... <laughs> I thought I was a real footballer when I was able to go from long sleeves to short sleeves and that allowed it to happen. I probably they didn't have uh, the short sleeve jumpers small enough perhaps but uh, once I grew into it yeah and I, I, I turned into a real footballer wearing a short sleeve and all wore the high cut boots as well the old Jenkins boots with <laughs> with uh, you know that protected the ankles and there was one particular game back in the day the grounds were terrible if we had a wet winter and you're three or four inches in mud and at the end of the game I've taken the boots off and thrown them dad's feet in tears I'm never wearing them again I'm never, I'll give me some low cut boots because all the other kids had low cuts but not you're wearing the high cut boots to protect your ankles uh, probably embarrassing for myself to be doing that to my father but uh, I never wore a high cut pair, pair of boots again and never wore a long sleeve jumper again always a short sleeve man now as you mentioned growing up in the ring area. It was the, the days of zoning and, and Ringwood was an unbelievable uh, breeding ground for the Bombers in the late 70s and early 1980s. Take us through some of the players that came out of the Ringwood area that ended up at the Bombers and, and how did it be that uh, you ended up at Essendon? Well, uh, played in my actual team going through the juniors. You had uh, a guy called Peter Banfield who played at Essendon and uh, went to Brisbane. Paul Salmon, I also went to school with. We were in the same uh, team at North Ringwood as well. But then you had a guy a couple of years younger than us, Dean Bailey. Uh, Kevin Walsh came through, but he was a little bit older. Daisy Williams was local at Vermont. Uh, Paul Vanderhaar at Ringwood. Neil Clark, Ringwood. A um, little bit before us, Robin Close, if the Essendon people remember him. Uh, yeah, um, there's a few more. I, I just, I'll just i remember him as we go. I think Roddy Andrews really... was Heathmont, wasn't he? Uh, no, he may well have played there at one point, but no, he was from he was up Bush, country I think, boy. Ronnie, yep. but yep. Um, he was a country boy. Um, but yeah, Terry Carl, another one who I think Gary Sidebottom or yes. Carl Dritchich knocked him out. Or they both knocked him and uh, Merv Nagel out in a game when they were young fellas. So not sure Terry Carl was the same, but he was a good young player that came through from North Ringwood as well. But uh, yeah, we, look, we we're quite a successful team, having uh, quite a few guys that went on to play VFL, uh, AFL football. But um, there was a guy called Gary Lewis. Um, he was the local scout uh, that would uh, go to the eastern suburbs games and, you know, he would identify guys and you know, uh, give you an Essendon towel and an Essendon drink bottle, something like that, uh, after a game and uh, just keep you probably entertained of the fact that um, if you're good enough, you're going to be playing at Essendon. Uh, and as a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, the club ran skills clinics out at the Croydon Leisure Centre on a Friday night during the winter and they were run by Russell Blue, Jeff Gosper, Graham Johnson, three premiership players from the, the 60s for Essendon. And uh, that was quite a, a good development area for myself, being able to handle a ball, indoor courts, brand new footies, brand new Sharons. It was great. You know, the, different to the, the big balloons we'd kick on a, on a weekend for our local clubs. And, uh, you know, the clubs, the, all, the, all the Melbourne clubs really invested in their youth, in their area, in their zones to make sure that they could 
uh, you know, firstly sow the seeds and then reap the rewards of you know, putting time into their juniors. So that, that, that was the memories from, from that time. But um, yeah, who knows? May not have uh, come through and not play, never played AFL. Who knows uh, if that hadn't have been the case uh, in, a, in an AFL uh, draft situation these days if it's compared. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. After the break, Gary O'Donnell begins the gradual climb to the top in the red and black. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's great to have you company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Today, we're with Essendon great Gary O'Donnell. And Gary, you joined the Bombers at a really strong time. You started in the under-19s and then basically three years uh, in the reserves. Were there times there where you thought you wouldn't make it or you might have to try your luck elsewhere? I wasn't. I didn't have a lot of courage and didn't have a lot of uh, risk-taking in me. So didn't pursue any other or didn't get any offers from any other clubs anyway. So obviously, as you said, Bombers are winning premierships. 84, 85. I'm coming through as a 19-year-old. I've actually missed 18 months of footy with a broken leg as a 17-year-old playing in my third senior game at North Ringwood. So didn't play for a year and a half, went straight over to the under-19s. No offers. The only offer I got to go anywhere else was from a guy called Steve Parson, and he was the in the infamous Windy Hill mm. Brawl of 74 as a young fella, actually playing for Richmond, though, and he was coaching Brunswick. And he'd been, had a little bit of an association with North Wingwood, Ringwood, but he was coaching Brunswick in the VFA. And he said, if ever you need a game, you know, I'll accommodate you, come out and play VFA with me. So never got the list, you know, so it's taken me four years to get a game, but never sort of got the list. They must have just seen something in me that, you know, eventually something might come through. I think if you work hard, do the right things, be a good citizen, while the club's going okay, they'll keep those type of blokes on when uh, you know, you've got a pretty decent set of senior players that are holding spots down. When they eventually move on, they've got uh, a few troops to come through from the reserves. And that was the sort of time it was. You know, Hawthorne were pretty strong in those days as well. And some of their champion players, or end up champion players, you know, played 40, 50, 60 games in the reserves like like a lot of others. So, yeah, my almost 70 games in the reserves before I got a game, probably then, you know, I had the tools perhaps that I'd get a career and not just a game. So uh, that ended up happening. They had to wait till round 22, not... 1987, it's Essendon Collingwood at the MCG. You start on the bench, uh, you come on after half time, and you've got a pretty decent opponent. What are your memories of your first game? Memories of my first game, I just ran up and down the boundary line in front of the MCC members where the two coaches' boxes sat side by side in the members. And remember me, Sheeds? Just running past the box, making sure that he knew that I was be able to be used if he wanted to. And that's the thing. You had uh, only two on the bench. There wasn't a rotation policy like there is now. You know, a guy or the four start on the bench nowadays, they know they're coming in on in about four minutes to get the rotations going. I suppose the advantage of that too is um, you don't get dragged playing poorly. You'd come back on and have another crack. In the old days, if you get dragged, you're probably not getting the kick and you can sit there and rock for a quarter. But um, yeah, it was half time and Paul Vanderhaar was struggling with a leg injury and she says, yep, you're going on. You're going on to Peter Dacos. <laughs> 
So uh, played on him. I think you know, he kicked, he'd had about 20 and kicked three goals in the first half as well. So pretty daunting task to, to get come on to him. And I, I did the job. He, I think he only had four or five touches after half time, but he kicked the goal about halfway through the last quarter. And Collingwood ended up winning by about five points. I always blame myself that I'd caught, you know, it was my fault that we'd lost because I'd let him kick the goal. It was a great game. Both sides couldn't make the, uh, the finals. I think it was the final five then, but there was only about 30,000 at the ground. But the old Southern Stand roof, you know, the echo through there made it sound like there's 100,000. And um, it was about 23 goals to 22 that won the game. Bomber Thompson played really well, four goals. And Darren Mullane killed us, I think, that day. So they're my memories. And it was, if I never got another game, I would have been satisfied. It was just fantastic to be able to, to run on the ground in a senior game, get a few kicks. But playing, having said that, the four years that I'd taken to get there, once I got back, I thought, oh, geez, yeah, I reckon I'll be all right now. I, I'm, you know, I reckon I'm good enough to uh, to keep going here and I've got a chance to get a career. And um, it was the last game of 87 and, and uh, pre-season couldn't come quick enough for 88. Well, you must have impressed and, and you must have impressed in that role because really, wasn't it, you, your lot in, in footy life for the next three or four years was that, that sort of lockdown defender role. Yeah, and uh, to tag bloke on the ball as well. I'd done a little bit of it in the seconds. And that, back in those days, a lot you had uh, good strong lists of probably older, a lot more older blokes and you had a lot more blokes. They come back from injury to come through their seconds or they're out of form and they're playing in the seconds and you get to play them, play on them as a kid uh, against established, you know, VFL players. So yeah, look, you do your time and you uh, you just play your role. You hear a lot of it these days, the, the uh, guys that are interviewed, yeah, we played our, each bloke played our role and we uh, we kept stuck to the structures and all that. Well, yeah, I just, if you're willing to play a role and you do it well, devote yourself to the team, put the team, I think, yeah, a lot of we, a lot of a lot of people say, oh, you've got to put the team ahead of yourself. Well, I'm sure every anyone does that, but the team certainly has to be the equal of you. You never put yourself in front of it, and um, yeah, just to be able to given be given those roles to establish myself for a year or two, and then probably end up playing about half a career in the back line, half a half a career on the ball um, was very satisfying. You mentioned Kevin Sheedy before. He was a, a plumber by trade. He he loved his rogues. He loved his blue collar workers. But you worked at the bank. How did that relationship work? Yeah, he uh, a lot of times it was bank man. How are you, bank man? And he'll, uh, it works okay as long as you work hard when the, when it's time to work hard in, in training and in a game. But certainly, yeah, he had um, didn't have a thing again. He, look, he gave everyone an opportunity and everyone a chance. He probably uh, he makes a lot of you know, distinguishes between people a lot. And uh, you know, Damien Hard later on he came through a few years three three years after me, and he worked in the bank as well in uh, a branch in town in the CBD and he got called bank man by <laughs> Sheeds and uh, he was far from a bank man on the field he crossed that white line and he was uh, almost the hit man not the bank man so uh, each to their own um, and we all have different personalities both on and off the field but um, it, it fitted in uh, working the bank the Commonwealth Bank were really good for me I was with them for 13 years back in those days it was your main source of income and footy you know probably supplemented that income and it was only in the last three years of a career that I became like a full-time footballer. Other than that, for that, it would have been a full-time
time bank and then racing off at you know, half past four to, to get out to the club to be able to train at five and then uh, you know you're three hours training and then by the time you're getting home in Ringwood on the other side of town at you know, 9 30 10 o'clock at night and then you're up at six o'clock the next morning to get into town to, to work and it was just that cycle but uh, that's all we knew and everyone was doing it so everyone was equal but um, yeah bank man interesting situation <laughs> when uh, the back plum- pocket plumber hit man uh, <laughs> is trying to guide you through a game of footy so the team the Bombers uh, 1989 lose the prelim 1990 we all know what happened there losing the grand final to Collingwood 6 in 91 8th in 1992 and then we come to 1993 when to be honest not many people were tipping the Bombers to make even make the finals let alone be a premiership contender why did things click so well and so quickly with that group in 1993 just uh, it's luck sometimes that uh, the, the right decisions are made the right chemistry just the right atmosphere at a club for you know half a dozen blokes that have been you know through almost a whole career and had a bit of success as well you know we had Paul Salmon and Bomber Thompson Mark Harvey that had played in the 84-85 team or not not fish he missed 84 but um, and then you had you know, about 10 blokes that had played in the 1990 grand final and got embarrassed by Collingwood and then you had seven or eight young blokes either in their first or second year that just little did we know that you know three or four of them are, are probably going to be AFL Hall of Famers and to have that happen at the one time to have Sheeds being you know the most positive coach we've ever seen perhaps and uh, we started the season off slow I think we were one one and a half wins after four games or five games but then got on a roll and uh, a lot of games during that year we, we came from behind and uh, those the young kids you know Heard Fletcher McCurry Mercedes Wanganeen Ola Runshaw uh, Kelthorpe the uh, the 17 year old Dustin Fletcher still going to school at year 12 back on the Monday each week <laughs> uh, it was just a, it was a perfect chemistry we had a, a really basic set of team rules you know 10 or 12 of them that you, you weren't you weren't able to break that, that, that's what we lived by and we had speed uh, both some of our older players had a little bit of toe but all these kids were quick on their feet and quick in the mind uh, you, you throw in Michael Long who had a you know one of the better 93 final series and uh, you know little, little did we know at the start of the year that that was going to happen and um, I'd be a cranky old man if it hadn't uh, considering uh, 1990 and the embarrassment we faced. And we know it didn't look like it was going to happen at half time in the prelim seven goals down against the Crows you kicked the goal to put the Bombers in front earlier that final series you'd lost to the Blues by a couple of points in the qualifying final but just listening to a few of the senior players speak about uh, the grand final since it seemed like there was a, a supreme confidence in the group that come the grand final, it was going to be a different story against the Blues. Yeah, that uh, first, so we finished top by percentage. Uh, yeah, the first, I think the it was a final six, and those six teams finished a game and a half apart. It was an amazingly even competition, and we were just lucky enough to finish ahead of Carlton on percentage. Played in the first ever uh, night final, so it hasn't it's only 27 years since finals have been played at night, now they're talking about having the grand final at night. <laughs> I'd keep it during the day, but um, yeah, we there was a couple of blokes out in that uh, first game against the Blues, but we still had to earn the right to get back to play them. Uh, they had, I think they'd beat Adelaide the following week to, to go into the grand final directly, and we had to take the long route. And um, yeah, West Coast, I think the week after, won by five or six goals, played pretty well. And yeah, halftime of the preliminary final against Adelaide, it wasn't just seven a seven-goal difference. It was a smashing, like it was double scoring shots. It was 12 goals, 12 to six goals, six. So we were, we were well out of the game at that point but uh, yeah half time we're walking in and uh, Mark Harvey who was out and uh, 
I think had we went one, we go. We knew he was coming back, but he'd come in ranting and raving and throwing his arms everywhere. Uh, we had a, a really good skipper in Mark Thompson, Bomber Thompson, who was pretty calm and collected and just you know trying to set us back on to you know back to the the mindset of what we needed to do to try and start to turn things around. And you know, Sheeds being Sheeds, you know, we weren't going to win in the first you know ten minutes of the third quarter, but we could go take a step to be actually getting closer to winning again and you know getting a goal every so often to actually just you know peg it back so that we were in a reasonable margin at three quarter time and we we didn't miss that uh, that third quarter every opportunity we had to kick for goal we didn't miss uh, Darren Puick he's kicked his six goals straight um, if you're gonna have someone kick for your life give it straight to him I reckon uh, from all angles he, he kicked one from the pie stand if you wanted and um, he was a wonderful player that, that just got us going and then the kids the, the kids that all year quite a few games we were behind in games and came over the top of sides in you know second halves and last quarters. That was in everyone's mind that if you know we just stuck to the task, got got on a roll again, we were a big chance, and that's what ended happening again. And grand final day, uh, you were superb individually. I think most acknowledge you were, were clearly just behind Michael Long in terms of uh, Norm Smith Medal voting. Uh, just take us through that image on the final siren. Peter Somerville knocks it down to you. Siren goes as you kick the ball away, and you just slump in the middle of the MCG, looking quite emotional. What are, what are your memories of? of how you were feeling at that time? Uh, it was the single best feeling that I've experienced in my life. Uh, absolutely. Like all the hard work, like I was 28 years old. So it had been, I'd been at the club for, for 10 years. Um, yeah, had highs and lows. Yeah, m- mentioned earlier that I'd missed a year and a half of footy as a 17, 18 year old uh, with a broken leg. Um, you know, taking the four years to make it. It was just the culmination of everything just coming together and yeah, it was just the best. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the feeling and I'll never forget uh, that day. The best thing about the day too, we had the game won with you know, 10 or 15 minutes to go. We went about 10 goals up. Carlton pegged us back, you know, kicked two or three cheapies late. But to be able to just play on ball that day, but then just play behind the ball and watch the game like a spectator. It was fantastic. Just watch the reactions and the, the beginning of blokes feeling, yeah, geez, we've won this. We've got a premiership. The crowd, you know, the 95 odd thousand that were there to watch them, the Essendon people in the crowd just, you know, with the anticipation that what was going to happen in 10 or 15 minutes time was, you know, fantastic. I'll, that that was something I'll savour as well, to be, to be able to witness witness yourself almost. It was the uh, probably second only to being able to, if you can, in the future, they can actually sit you in the grandstand and you can watch your game replayed as if you're there rather than just watch it on telly. But um, it was yeah, a fantastic day and, um, yeah, just the culmination of everything, come, everything coming together. You're, this is your sporting life brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Coming up, Gary is named Essendon captain, but a second premiership medal proves elusive. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Hello, we 
we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with former Essendon captain and 1993 Premiership star Gary O'Donnell. Gary, six consecutive top three finishes in the best and fairest, as we mentioned earlier. Terry Danaher, a noted hard trainer, said you were one of the best trainers he'd ever seen. What was the, the secret behind not only your consistency as a player, but also your durability as well? I think you've just knocked the, the nail on the head there. And what Terry said, if you have a consistent level at training and, try, and you train at a standard you're going to have to produce on the field on the weekend uh, as consistently as you can, you're going to get consistent performance. So, yeah, look, my highs weren't as high as some of the the, uh, the better players that have gone around that have played this game, our great game, but certainly I don't think my lows were either. And it was a fairly leveled um, output from week to week. And, and it's to do with being able to just you know, approach every training session as if it's going to be your best one and uh, going flat out and then making sure you look after your body both you know, off the field and also you know in the gym in your conditioning as well. And I look had a really good couple of um, uh, fitness coaches, a guy called Loris Bertolacci, who was there during our premiership years and in our, in our formative years as well. He made me really strong from like thigh to torso and that's I reckon that's the key if you've got a strong core strong upper upper legs and glutes uh, it gets you through uh, you know the really rigorous you know 100 minutes of the game each each week and um, where uh, that that's the key Uh, you mentioned I think earlier I'd only missed about you know 15 games in a 15 year career including reserves and I think about half of them were through having the flu as well so you need a bit of luck some people will say that um, you he didn't put his head over enough, so he didn't get hurt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just you just have to just have, make every post a winner in your preparation, and, and fingers crossed you don't get uh, you know too bad bad impact injuries. Go back to the end of 1993. That group looked like it had the the footy world at its feet, um, but the team didn't make another grand final and win another premiership until 2000. Unfortunately for you, that was a couple of years after your time had finished. Should have that group won another flag in that era post 93 up until 2000? I think so. Yeah. No, 94 was terrible. We didn't make the finals. We maybe maybe took the foot off the accelerator. Maybe that was, you know, would have been the fault of the young kids. It would have been a fault of the older blokes, me being one of them, not being able to keep everyone on the straight and narrow as well. So had a little bit of bad luck as well. 1995, we won the first final, but uh, didn't, didn't go too well the second week. Richmond knocked us off. We got a few injuries that day. Uh, Matty Knights had a day, a day out. The 96 prelim, we... Um, Went to Sydney. Probably didn't deserve to be uh, premiers that year, but we we had the team to do it. We only finished sixth, I think, but out of a, a final eight, but got within one point, and that was the Tony Lockett after the siren uh, game. But we had six or seven injuries uh, at that point, and four or five of them happened in that game. I'm not sure what sort of side we would have put out next week against North Melbourne, but um, yeah, probably should have won one more in that time. Probably Essendon, as soon as they uh, got rid of their deadwood at the end of '98, they uh, '90 uh, that was me being one of them, uh, Gary, you're too old, you're too slow, move on. Um, they uh, then you know, just had a little bit of a springboard again. They lost the prelim in 99 against Carlton. That might have been a year that they could have won, but yeah, certainly they made amends in 2000 to, to only lose one game and be the, the record that probably will stand for time, I would have thought, for a team only to lose one game in a year and take out a flag. But yeah, she's coached four in 27 years. 
probably could have had, with a bit of luck, another couple. But you, know, you take what you get because it's a really tough and hard game to win and to get to the top. And he was able to do it four times. What a brilliant man. You touched on that final in 1995. And yes, Matthew Knight's had a big game. But arguably the turning point of that game is when you were well picked off by Scott Turner, which back then was legal. He didn't get suspended for it. He'd be in all sorts of trouble uh, these days. Have you got a memory of that incident? Because it was, it was a celebrated one at the time. Not sure it was legal. It just didn't get seen and there was no trial by video. There's Gary O'Donnell and he was crunched unceremoniously by Scotty Turner. But he's got a big heart. Have a look again. Gee whiz, it was a, a solid bump, wasn't it? As O'Donnell spun to follow the ball, Turner wiped him out. Yeah, he's picked me off. I think, not sure who it was, uh, Paul Broderick maybe. I can't remember the, the Richmond player. Kicked it over my head. I turned to go to run downfield and Scott's coming the other way. And yes, woke up on the boundary line and that was it. I probably wouldn't have played for two or three weeks either. I, my diaphragm, just that my whole body was a mess, um, bruised and, and battered. But um, that's footy, you know. Good luck to Richmond. They um, were too good on the day. Yeah, I, I think when when that happened, I think uh, Scotty Turner that day also ran through Dave Green involved as well and there was another one but yeah look that's it the scoreboard says Richmond were the best side that day uh, having said that they weren't the following week I think Geelong beat them by that 90 yep. points so that was a waste but uh, certainly on that day the Richmond Tiger Army were up and about. Well a better moment for you in 1995 we mentioned off the top that you played for Victoria nine times and that was that amazing state of origin game in 1995 all the emotion uh, at the MCG when Ted Witten and Ted Witten Jr. did that emotional lap uh, only what about a month or two before the great Ted Witten passed away. What are your memories of that day? It was an incredible day. We were never going to lose. Um, just South Australia was stiff <laughs> that day because of you know, just the emotion and uh, you know, we'd, we'd come through. I'd only I'd been in the state system, what, about six years. So And you know, the passion that came through from Ted and, and the other guys like Graham Richmond and, and those types of blokes that just you know, bled to Victoria. Just to, just to be involved in that day was fantastic. I remember he was introduced to Danny Frawley was taking him around to each player in the rooms as we were warming up. And uh, Gary, this is Gary O'Donnell. Oh, Gary Lyon, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, good luck today. So, um, because by that stage, you know, his sight had uh, left him as well. But um, great game to be a part of. And uh, geez. You'd love to have, it's never going to happen, but I, I think the Victorian, or sorry, not Victorian, the interstate footy, if they're ever, ever going to bring it back, it has to be mid-season. It has to be when players are zinging and you get some of the best standard games of balls going from one end of the ground yep. to the other. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the top, the top echelon of players playing in, you know, one or two games is just something to behold. And just as a kid growing up and either coming home from school to watch a WA game at uh, Subiaco and Vic's going, over there to play the Sandgropers or you know just at you know a night game and you're playing they're playing South Australia or uh, you get to go to a game at the MCG as a kid and barrack for your heroes that are, you know, that are from your state uh, probably yeah a little bit little bit uh, that kids these days miss out on. And now twelve months later you played in another very memorable game for for different reasons. It was out at Waverley against St Kilda. Your captain and the lights go out. You come back on the Tuesday night and complete the game. And there's a, a clip on YouTube and news story at the time where you spoke in the rooms after the game. You were filthy on the AFL that the fact that you had to come out or all the players had to come out and play that game a couple of nights later after the lights went out. Those 42 players got the league out of a hole tonight. 
and uh, help them out. I'm hoping that the AFL will help those 42 players out in the next week or so. In what sort of way would you expect them to help you out? Now that we have done the work to uh, get them out of the hole, I would expect uh, some sort of remuneration arrangement that will help players out. I think it was the fast that a game can start with 21 players on each side and then you continue the game, same scores with different players. I think that's just uh, it's made it a joke. It was, yeah, it was just ridiculous. It was, the game was made a mockery of that night, I thought. Just, we were all full-time um, workers, almost. We, the game hadn't gone uh, full-time yet, and we had to come back on the Tuesday night. Obviously, you couldn't have the same uh, 21 players, I think it was, uh, come back and play, because some blokes pull up sore and you know, aren't ready to play until a week later. And so Tuesday night, we're able to play new players. So James Hurd, mm. for example, didn't play on the Saturday because he didn't quite come up. But Tuesday was good enough, so he came back into the side. That is shambolic. Also, uh, what I think it was about the 10-minute mark of the third quarter. So they just divided what time was left into two halves, and we played kicked one end half for half, half the time. It was it was ridiculous. Uh, so I actually rang it because I was I think I was might have even been vice president of the play. Association. I rang Ian Collins, who was the C or the footy yep. uh, controller at that point, the Stephen Hocking, I think. That's right. And he uh, I said, "Mate, we can't do this, ridiculous. Oh, you know, we've got to, you got to reward us at, at the very least." So I think we all got an ex gratia payment of five hundred bucks each and play. And uh, it was probably you know until something like that happens and there's no rules in place. Well, now there is. So if it happens before half time, two teams have uh, two points each, and if it happens. After halftime, whoever's leading gets the four points. So if you've got a really important night game, get someone to pull the lights <laughs> out and run away. And uh, if you're up after halftime, and you'll get the four points. But um, yeah, very interesting circumstances. It was like Lord of the Flies. If anyone's read the book, yeah. it was just anarchy. People acting like just as if there's no law and order. You know, ripping up seats, ripping out goalposts, lighting fires. There was no way known we could come back out of the race again and, and play the game that night. It was was just uh, an extraordinary experience and it'll never happen again, hopefully. Yep, it was a farce. Now, you mentioned before the end of 1998 when your time at Essendon came to an end. So you played 17 games that year. You played in the losing qualifying final to North Melbourne and then it was a bit of, it was a pretty ugly exit, wasn't it? I mean, it was it was like you were almost retired by the footy club. Would that be right? Yeah, yeah. There was synergy in that. So if we remember our, my first game, didn't get on till half-time. My last game in that final, I didn't get on till half-time. It was incredible. <laughs> Started the third quarter and uh, we played North Melbourne. It was actually the marshmallow game. So we've got uh, us getting beaten, knocked out. My last game and Sheeds walking along the boundary getting pelted with marshmallows by North Melbourne supporters. Yeah, look, uh, everyone retires, every player. A lot of players have to get told. There's not many that um, go out on their own terms. Um, look, there was a leak on the board. I, I'd had my exit meeting on the Monday so, and uh, Sheeds, Matty Drain, the footy manager at that time, saying, Gary, yep, if your career is finished. I said, oh, what do you reckon? Oh, do you really think so? Yeah, it's finished. And there, at that point, there was the um, uh, veterans list rule where you know, half your salary went into the, the, uh, the or oh, only counted on the list. Not that I was earning any big bucks either, but just it gave the club a sort of a supernumerary number on the end of the list. But um, that was, don't you know, that's coming in. Maybe I can keep playing. Nah, nah, you're gone. Okay, okay, we'll we'll uh, think about it overnight and we'll, we'll, we'll make some sort of announcement the next day and then... Uh, uh, lo and behold, it was back page of the Herald Sun O'Donnell sack. And uh, yeah, that, that was a little bit disappointing. 
Um, but, you know, that's footy as well. And uh, it's water under the bridge now. Uh, just things happen for a reason. And um, there it is. But it could have been a better set of circumstances if I come out and said, look, yeah, I'm starting to slow up. I've had my time. I'm moving on in my on my own terms. But that's life. We're talking to bomber great Gary O'Donnell on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. After the break, Gary moves north to join Lethal's all-conquering Lions. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. been great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Today, our guest has been Essendon great Gary O'Donnell. Now, Gary Lee Matthews, he was a huge fan of you as a player. At one stage, he said you're in the top five midfielders in the competition. Then you spent six seasons up north for three flags from four grand finals. It must have been an amazing time working with such a great coach and an amazing group of players. It was incredible, and I never myself moving into state and it was the best thing I did just to, to pack up bring the family out of uh, two uh, young girls four and two and we packed up moved to Brisbane not knowing what was going to happen it was the best thing best bit of personal development I reckon you can have just see see the AFL from an interstate club's perspective as well and uh, yeah I, uh, one thing not there's no regret but I would have wouldn't have minded coming through as a player nowadays and you get drafted by an interstate club and you go to an interstate club and you, you grow up a lot quicker I reckon and you become more um, independent quicker so that would have been beneficial for me I reckon having spent uh, four years getting a game that might have been you know, they might not have kept me on but certainly it was the best thing we did and uh, when player of the century comes to you and there's uh, yeah Gary I like the way you go about things you know I'd like you to come up with me yeah it was it was fantastic and um, little did we know as well Brisbane had finished last and um, the year before in, in 98 and uh, just uh, you had a a, a, te- a young a young team that had just uh, what was it that two or three years earlier that had merged or Fitzroy had merged with the Brisbane Bears. They got eight players. I think it was about two left. But uh, you had a, a group of players that were just, you know, they were quite impressed by the, the fact that Lee Matthews, the great Lee Matthews, is coming to coach them as well. And um, really practical sort of person. Um, no mucking around. Says, you know, what he says is gospel. He doesn't have to raise his voice too often as well. He's just got those beady eyes. Uh, you know, they had a, Brisbane had just, you know, a couple of champions on each line. In, you know, in defence, mid boards, they just had champions of the game that um, I'd love to be able to see them play the, you know, the modern day Hawks, the modern day Tigers, uh, just to see how they go and uh, see you know, uh, the winner takes all but um, yeah, it was a fabulous opportunity to go up there and uh, it was you know, a fabulous you know, six years that I spent. Who would win? It's an interesting one because um, uh, each of those sides have all got their own style um, you know, the Brisbane team beat the great Essendon team but I think the Essendon team were just going off the, the boil as well and had a few injuries in 2001 but uh, the the Brisbane team had a mean streak in them mm. as well. It'd be, I think, that may well get them over the line. There was probably seven or eight players in the team that, you know, real take no prisoner type attitude. Whereas, you know, the modern day now, the Richmond team is a really well-oiled machine. They each cog in it knows what each one's doing, and they work together really well. Uh, probably the talent would be better in Brisbane. Probably Richmond play a better, a better team style. Who knows if they're coached in the same eras, they would play similar type footy. Yeah. 
hard to I'll probably lean Brisbane no. I thought ah. you, I thought you might say that. So great success <laughs> great success at Brisbane. Then you return to Essendon at the end of two thousand and four and given your history with the club and the and the successful program you'd been involved in at Brisbane, a lot of people thought you were the logical successor at some stage to take over from Kevin Sheedy. But was that ever in the thoughts? Were you did you ever want to become a senior coach? No, it wasn't in my thought process. Oh, I didn't think I'd ever become a senior coach. There's just a couple of things I don't do well enough that, that I need to have in the repertoire. Sorry, a senior coach has to have in their repertoire to, to be a successful senior coach. So I was happy with the role that I played in various assistant roles, various line roles, various development roles in uh, over 18 years at uh, two clubs. But uh, you never had the, never had those you know top-level aspirations. So maybe never had the, the go or the courage to do it either. Who knows? But you know that that is now history. Um, yeah, come back to Western and wasn't wasn't that good a period and uh, my time back at Brisbane the second time wasn't that good a period as well so you learn a lot both when the team's going real well and when a team's struggling you, you get the best of both worlds and um, you learn that you know the highest you know there's um, it's, it can never be well it can never be um, what's it, what's the saying the lows aren't ever too low and the highs aren't ever too high something like that um, you just uh, hopefully you, you get consistent and you get a consistent approach of, uh, with your players. But, yeah, you learn a lot in both uh, success and in despair. You did get one crack at it, though, in the senior coach's box when uh, Kevin Sheedy was in hospital, had to go on operation. And uh, you're probably a bit of a trivia question, really, aren't you? Because you coached one game and you didn't experience the high of a win or the low of a loss. No. <laughs> it was probably how my playing career went. Just Yeah, it was just that even taught sort of player. You know, not not uh, any you know, flashy Brownlow votes and uh, not getting my bum kicked too often either. But, um, we're two goals up against Carlton and uh, we weren't, we were looking pretty dodgy down back and I've moved Ricky Dyson to defence just to give us a little, you know, he's a good ball user and just to give us, this was about, you know, halfway through the last quarter, just to give us a little bit of, um, uh, yeah, a little bit more stability there when we had the ball and uh, unfortunately he's gone on to Eddie Betts. Eddie Betts kicked the last two goals of the game and drew the game. So, <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Look, players were really gutted that day because I think the team had lost the previous 13 games. They hadn't had a win for 13 games and to be two goals up and then uh, draw, it was, um, you know, there was a lot of sadness in blokes' eyes that night. I, that night I could see it, but, um, you know, that's the way it goes. That's footy. Got one crack and uh, 50%. It, uh, no one else will do it, I would have thought. No, that is probably true. Well, Gary, it was an amazing career, 243 games, premiership, a best and fairest, club captain, Vic rep nine times, Essendon Hall of Famer, uh, and it's been fantastic to, to catch up today. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for the invite, and, yeah, it's been fabulous to just get the opportunity to be involved in our great game. It's been been splendid. And thank you all for joining us as well. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch up next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.